More Questions Than Answers with Julie Panessi, brought to you by the Democracy Fund. Well, hi, everybody. Julie here. I am I'm really looking forward to today's conversation because, you know, we've been talking about COVID for a long time. I've done a lot of interviews where we've talked about this crisis of medical freedom in Canada and globally and how we move beyond that. But that's not the only problem we have. And it's related, I think, to a number of other problems. And and another crisis that I think we're deeply embedded in and, and possibly that COVID emerged from is a crisis in terms of expression and our ability to speak freely and openly and have respectful conversations with other people, never mind like our, you know, our access to quality information about our health and all kinds of other things. So I'm really very honored to be joined today by Anita Krishna, who uh, was a longtime employee of Global News and directed newscasts in the control room. And I'm hoping, Anita, that you'll tell us a little bit more about that. But I know that, you know, there was this very um, for many people, well-known video that came out about you being interrogated and, and then ultimately um, no longer having your position at Global. And, you know, I watched that way back when, and then I rewatched it again this morning, and I, I find it quite chilling. Um, I'd be curious to hear a little bit from you about, you know, what was your position at Global? Uh, what did it look like when the pandemic happened? What did you do? What was your job? And then um, what transpired in the months to follow? I know that you attended a freedom rally in Vancouver and that caused a lot of problems for you at your work. But can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how, how did COVID impact you and your work? Oh, well, yeah. Start there, whatever yeah, you want. Yeah, I'll start there. Um, okay. So I worked at Global News for a really long time. I, I had a technical position and I was a director. So, um, but of course I'm around editorial staff. We're all in the same room. I would say that I really felt that when COVID hit, everybody had lost their minds in a way that I'd never seen before. Something changed so drastically. I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't, under, I couldn't understand it. And anything that I had known before in terms of editorial content, whenever you need to develop a story or talk about a story, any one of us in the newsroom, whether you're technical or not, you can go to your producers or news director and say, hey, did you hear about this? Like, this isn't really how that fire started, or maybe we should follow up this. And people would acknowledge you and go, okay, well, let me look into that. But with COVID, if you brought up origins, hey, did you hear about this laboratory in Wuhan? Immediately you were shot down. Like that was the most preposterous thing that you could ever say. By, by whom? Was there an obvious sort of chain of command or did it just seem like this emerged from, from, from any person at any level? That, it just seemed okay. like it just emerged, like it just came into your body from nowhere like a ghost took over you or something like a, you were make of uh, that? where do you yeah. how do you think that happened where did that come from oh it's such a fantastic question because yeah. because some it just came over people not only people in the in the newsroom but my friends my friends who had quote unquote normal jobs when I told my best friend I said did you hear about this laboratory and she goes no no no, it couldn't have come from there. It, it almost like maybe she felt like she was being racist if she said that it came from China. 
But I said, what does it matter? What if it came from Sweden? What if it came from Mexico? Wherever the laboratory is, it doesn't matter. What matters is possibly what happened. So it's such a good question. I think we're all struggling with that. How did this happen to everybody, this, this veil of, of ignorance? So when you, so you started kind of being curious early on and asking yeah. questions early on and saying, well, where did it come from? And, and I know you've spoken, you know, you've been quite curious about so the stillbirth situation in the Vancouver hospital. And I know you've uh, commented on Dr. Steve Pellick's work and, and that you're interested in, in some of the alternative treatments. And um, did you raise those kinds of questions and issues with the people in the control room with your superiors at the time when you were still working there? I did raise those issues. I did. I talked to everybody I knew. I I had a meeting with my news director in the summer of 2020, um, um, or when the vaccines were started to come out. That was a bit later. Um, that I was nervous about these vaccines. How could they? How could they come from nowhere and be manufactured and ready to go? How is this even possible? Like. The scientific community, even if the and he told me, well, the whole world got together, all the scientists got together, and when everybody's working on something, it's going to happen. No, it things don't happen like that. You know, like have you ever heard the expression "too many cooks"? Too many cooks usually screw things up. Maybe yes, I think anyone who's sat in on meetings or been part of organizations know that knows that efficiency is not necessarily <laughs> the default output no, right? no not at all um so he didn't seem to to he he was like well I can't help it and I told talked to him about the lab I talked to him about how could these vaccines this is not a good idea to immunize the whole world you're not going to have a good immune response and the reason I knew that is because I was listening to people like um Garrett Vandenbosch and um Brett Weinstein I was just listening to them and everything they were saying was making sense and everything global news and all mainstream media was putting out made no sense. So, I mean, aside from the issue that global wanted to, or, or that they were really interested in telling only the particular, what we call it pro-narrative story, is it unusual in a newsroom for there to be a preference for uniformity? Do you know what I mean? I mean, is there a, I would think, that news would be more interesting, more salacious, more eye-grabbing if you told multiple stories from multiple viewpoints and got a bit of a debate going, that more people would be interested in watching, watching and listening to that. Was there any, I mean, prior to 2020, was there a desire for that when it com comes to other issues like climate change or uh, you know, wars in other parts of the world or, um, racial issues or education issues, or have we lost that desire for diversity in general, do you think? Very possibly, very possibly, because I agree with you that debate and different sides of the story and getting to the bottom of the truth is what makes a story interesting. I feel people have lost their curiosity and you just mm -hmm. go with whatever's happening so whatever the consensus is about black lives matter movements or whatever you're going to just go with that whatever the consensus is about donald trump you're going to report to make him look like a fool you would never report to anything good that he did mm -hmm. i mean he tried to not he tried to 
separate the US from the WHO, or I'm not sure what he did, but he raised concerns about the WHO and rightly so. Does he ever get credit for that in mainstream media? No, he gets absolutely attacked. So sort of even, even just local news, covering local news, sometimes you got to ask, well, how did that start? Well, what happened there? What's the story? And I find people aren't that cu curious, which is ridiculous because you're a, in a, working in a newsroom as a journalist. Where did your curiosity go for the truth? So maybe over time, you're right. Maybe it, something Something, something dissipated that from yeah. us, you think, you're not, I've heard you speak about this before, curiosity, and you strike me as a very curious person, but I th do agree with you. I think it's anomalous. I think most people would rather say as your best friend reacted, oh, I don't, I don't want to think about that. I don't. And I'm curious about why that is, is curiosity. Uh, I mean, it, you run the risk if you're curious of standing apart from others, right? Of making kind of a spectacle of yourself because you might, your curiosity might lead you to a place of difference. You might end up with a different idea, a different point of view. Do you think it also has something to do with energy? Like, does it just require energy to be curious and effort? And are we tired, overwhelmed, exhausted <laughs> from like information overload? What is the... Yes, it, it could be that. I also find that people um, people are embarrassed or nervous to say, I don't know something. Sometimes mm -hmm. people don't want to say, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not sure how that happened. Everybody wants to know everything. Like, well, I know everything. No, you don't know everything. Your job is to, to sometimes say, I don't know what happened. And that's and to, okay. And that's okay. Maybe there's some of that um, going on that sort of, you know, sometimes when you're in a meeting and no one wants to speak up and say if they didn't understand something because you feel nervous and silly that you didn't understand it, but chances are people in the room didn't understand it either. So it's okay to speak up. So I've always been like that one. Well, I used to be nervous when I was younger, but I'm a bit older now. So I'm not nervous to say, I didn't understand what you meant. Explain mm -hmm. that. Whereas sometimes younger people, you want to keep your cool. You want to be cool and smart. Maybe, I don't know if that comes to this sort of lack of curiosity, that you have to know everything. Which, as you point out, we can't possibly do. And so you've got to cover up your ignorance and so defer to others. That's a good strategy, right? Just to yeah. other people. Yeah. Um, did you lose your job at Global because you just didn't toe the line? I think so. I think they were looking for ways to get rid of me because when I worked there, I started my Rumble channel and I interviewed a nurse and a, and a former cameraman who had COVID. And the nurse explained to me, we were already in the hospital for, for 20, in 2020 for people to come. No one was there. Like no one was coming. So she gave a very different picture of the hospital. Now that's just her one hospital, but her account should be validated. Like she should be given... Her story should be told. Then one of my friends who worked at Global ended up in St. Paul's Hospital. He had COVID. And I said to him, how many people were in the ward? And he goes, I counted three. And this was right around the time we were blasting. Hospitals are overloaded. Maybe some were. I'm not saying they weren't. But did we paint an accurate picture in the news of what was really going on? I don't think we did. And the fear that comes from that, right? When you, I mean, some of those photos, the photojournalism that was done at that time was, was haunting because it's not just that there's this 
this image portrayed of overflowing capacity. And you, you know, you, you, you start thinking to yourself, if I'm really sick or I have a life-threatening condition, I don't even have a hospital room and I'm in the, in the hallway on a gurney and no one's taking care of me. And on top of that, they're fully masked and, and there's no personal contact contact yeah. and now I'm starting to hear about shortages for the equipment that's required to keep me alive I mean it's yeah. it, it's not surprising that that kind of that th those words that that photo imagery would quickly escalate us towards a place of not just fear but hysteria right? yeah and also no proper information like we made everybody hysterical because the news is very good at scaring you to death like mm -hmm. in, in our province we have lots of forest fires and boy do we ever milk the heck out of that you know and you know sometimes we blow it up when it's not even as bad we that we're good at that because we're sensational because that's what draws in a viewer okay you can take a bit of that license fine but you have to move with honesty too and i i don't think they were doing that and we never told you about the news is meant to talk about hey by the way don't be that scared because there is early treatment there are medications. We never said that. And the news has also not told the general public, because I talked to my neighbors and everybody else, that, that the doctors, their licenses were suspended for, for prescribing certain medications or they were disciplined. This is a big thing that the general public doesn't know. And, and should know when, I mean, if we, we've talked in Canada for decades now about the importance of informed consent and medical freedom. And if there are things going on in medicine that are affecting people's care and people don't know about it, I, I mean, to say that's huge is a massive understatement. Yeah, absolutely. All my friends that, that they had to get the vaccine because they would end up uh, intubated in the hospital because that's what we told them. It's only now in 2022, June, mid-June, that one of my other best friends is like, she's really skeptical of what happened. Really, she's taken three shots and she's mm -hmm. taken AstraZeneca, Pfizer, and Moderna. She's taken all three. Just to cover your bases. <laughs> she's, I don't know. But she's not too worried because the news makes her feel like not to worry. It was okay to mix and match. Right. But her husband took all three too but he's getting sick and they don't know why. Like he's having all these tests and so she's okay, but he's not doing so well. And I think people need to know that it's the vaccine might affect you differently than other people. I mean, you know, it's just something to be aware of. Tell me about Bonnie Henry. <laughs> what was your job? Um, with respect to Bonnie Henry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like I, I directed like newscasts. Uh, that was the main part of my job. So six o'clock news, I would just cut the cameras, put the people on. But for Bonnie Henry, she would uh, stand at her podium from Victoria and I would just take her camera and put her, I, it was all technical. So I just put her camera up, put the sign language interpreter up, put fonts up, um, and rolled whatever visuals we needed. Not that we needed that many. We just put a microphone up and have her talk. So the minute, it's funny that you asked me that question. The, the minute, the first moment I heard her open her mouth and speak, I was like that. I Something happened in my body. I were you Something. physically in the room with her or were you in a oh no no I was uh, yeah I was in Burnaby person. and she's in Victoria yeah so I don't okay. uh I, I don't even have an earpiece most times when we do um 
uh, live hits. I have an earpiece so I can talk to the person speaking. I was never talking in her ear. To just I just put her camera up. But the yeah. first time I ever heard her speak, I, my body had a visceral reaction because I was like, she doesn't speak like a normal person. She's trying to lull you into some weird hypnosis. I, I, I really didn't like her. What like is her. it that was, yeah. Yeah, what was that was off-putting about her? Did you not feel that she had empathy? Did you not feel that she was sort of aware of or connected to what she was saying? Did you feel she was being dishonest? I didn't like her manner of speaking. I didn't like her soft, bizarre tone. Something seemed not human about it. And because she spoke in such without clarity, I couldn't comprehend what she was saying. Like I, I, nothing she said ever really made sense to me, no matter what she said. And um, then the things she was telling us to do were absurd absolutely absurd so I didn't follow her from the from the get-go I couldn't she's not a woman I could get behind every day every day every I saw her every day I, I did I did the job every day and the guy that I was working with at the time he's a Russian guy and he knew he he knew what was going on do you think we could say anything at work no we just talked amongst ourselves right and and I'm it's anyway. so interesting, Anita, because, um, you know, what we know from uh, studies in clinical psychology and moral psychology is that often repetition creates patterns of behavior and habits. And so if you put another person, you and another person listening to Bonnie Henry all day, every day, it's more likely than not that you would come to believe her just in virtue of the repetition. But there's something unique about you that from the beginning said, this doesn't feel right. And the content isn't right. Oh. And you never succumb to that kind of, you know, how we like usually repetition meditation operates on this principle, right? That when you repeat something over and over, hypnosis operates on this principle. Yeah. For some reason, you resisted that. And I think that's very interesting. Um, can you tell us about that video where you're being interrogated by and who is it from Global? My operations manager, okay. who I worked with for so many years. And I also worked with his dad. And just to be talked to like that, actually, I, I wasn't as offended by the manner with which he was speaking to me. I was more offended by what, by them not realizing how they were not reporting. Like, how are you attacking me for compromising journalistic principles when you're not upholding journalistic principles? Lots of people have said to me after they watched that video that everybody was mean to me, but I, I'm used to that. That's just the way they spoke over there. I, I, it was unintelligible. That was what was most obvious to me is that they kept coming back to this idea that as you say, you violated, what did they call it? The journalistic, but principles, yeah, journalistic yeah, the practices and documents, right? Mm -hmm. That you yeah. violated that, and that that's because you attended the Freedom Rally in Vancouver and possibly or arguably uh, aligned yourself with Global. I take it. Yeah, that first rally was a rally because Dr. Mel Bruchet was yeah. put uh, locked up and, and he was talking about miscarriages. And I had just put a story on the air not too long ago about telling pregnant women to get the vaccine. And it made me feel ill. Like I was because I thalidomide. I just I just don't feel in that, your mind still in my mind. I remember that from when I was a child um, and I know someone that's a thalidomide baby. So that's why I was like, how are we telling people to do this? What is going on? And something drew me to go to that rally. And then I 
and then I said hi to some a, a nurse, and then I go, and then then I got in trouble because I ended up saying hi. I'm from Global. I, I didn't mean <laughs> I didn't mean for that to happen. It just happened, and um, so I was disciplined for appearing there. But you have to Global News has to ask themselves what is the problem. What are you hiding that you don't want me there? What is going? What's now we know. What did they say? What was their explanation for for you? for terminating you? Oh, the termination, they couldn't get me on going to the rally and they couldn't get me on starting my videos because at that time that was freedom of speech. They got me because I had tweeted something. So they said I violated journalistic principles with social media. And the last thing I knew was that they, my mask was hanging off my face and I was drinking water as I was directing a show. And um, then they, they literally escorted me out of the building. So that's like they, not violating a journalistic principle. That's violating a COVID protocol. I say yes. Yes. So did they yes. tell you ultimately which one it was? That <laughs> you know, I went to go look for the letter again, my, my <laughs> termination letter to see what they wrote. Uh, again, um, they didn't talk about the mask. It was it was the I, my mask was hanging and they called me and said, you're not adhering to mask protocol. Like leave. And they leave. escorted you out of the building. Yeah. After 24 years of working there. You know, when I watched that video and that those terms like journalistic principles kept coming up over and over and over again. And I think you were very good because you 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 pushed them on every point that was unintelligible and said, well, hold on, you didn't. Uh, what is it you wanted me to read and what section? And they could never actually point to it, which suggests to me that they don't really know. They haven't read it. Themselves <laughs> or, you know, yeah. anyway, when we're talking about like journalistic principles or codes of conduct that makes me think of journalistic ethics and I'm curious from your perspective what do you think journalism should be doing what's the ultimate goal what is the moral standard that journalists should be living up to journalists should always tell you the truth they should always strive with the, to the best of their ability to tell a story fairly without bias but to look for truth that is your job because you're, you are beholden to the public, not to yourself, not to a pharmaceutical company, not to whoever's paying you. You are beholden to the public. That's what you are there for. You're there not to manipulate us. There's a, if you're obligated to the public, you can't necessarily have it both ways, right? And play an obligation to your employer because the interests of the public and the interests of your employer may not be the same, right? Right. And if the interest isn't the same, you still have to tell the story properly. And I never saw, they didn't. What room is there, do you think, in journalism for opinion-based writing? So COVID is such a hot topic and people feel so passionate about it. How does a journalist express his or her feelings about it without violating that core principle that they must tell the truth and not be biased? Hmm. From, from where I come from, for, for people who report for daily newscasts, a journalist never infuses their own opinion in there. They just kind of tell the story. You can kind of guess guess where they stand, you know, by the way they <laughs> right. tell the story. But you're you're in that type of situation, if you're a reporter, you don't infuse your own opinion. Journalism is changing where we're getting pundits, we're getting journalists who are infusing their own opinion and becoming popular for who they are. And that's 
and then they then that's changing like sometimes i'll watch um rex murphy because i i I like what he has to say he's it's opinion but fact right you're aware of the fact that he's giving his his own take on right facts yeah yeah, I'm, I'm aware, but a straight up news report, straight up for the news, should just have the facts. You know, I remember so clearly in grad school, even before that in undergrad, when you start being taught how to write essays and just whatever humanities discipline I was in, whether it was philosophy or English or, or history, whatever it was, every instructor would say, it's so important that you make clear your, your presentation of the facts and then clarify what your view of them is, right? So that those two things don't become muddied. And I feel a bit now like um, whenever I read a piece of journalism, it's almost like the journalist is begging the question. And so they're putting the conclusion that they want to arrive at right up at the beginning as though that's their starting point, right? And so there are all these things about COVID that are just take it for granted items. Like um, it's terribly lethal and it's gonna kill you if you don't do something about it. And, and the vaccines are the only way out. And so we'll start from those, from, from that place as though yeah. those are our first principles and then we'll see what we get from it. But w- what you take to be your first principles ends up producing a very different conversation, a very different outcome, very different kind of journalism. And so it seems like we need to have a conversation about, as you say, what, like what counts as truth? What does it mean to follow the truth to the best of your ability? And how do you be transparent to other people so they know what are the facts here, the, the undisputable facts, and then where does my opinion about it start? Yeah, they're leading you in a way to to set you up. They've led you now. They've put the seed in your brain. And then all the stuff that follows. Well, they've already planted the seed in the first paragraph, right? So they're they're shaping with a particular. Mm -hmm. Yeah, shaping your opinion. Mm -hmm. They're not supposed to. A, a, A journalist is not supposed to do that. I don't think. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, we. I've been thinking a lot lately about you know, cancellation and how we just seem to live in this culture of silence where we don't allow a difference of opinion, whether we're talking about in journalism, it's certainly true in academia. I mean, you would think that at universities, you would want nothing more than to encourage a diversity of opinions and then let the debate and discussion work on those opinions and then the truth will rise to the top ultimately. That's the model that universities have always operated on to the best of my understanding and we don't see that anymore. If you don't toe a certain line, not only in a specific discipline, but in a certain sub area of that discipline, then you're not considered to be um, acceptable in a variety of ways. So we have it not just in journalism, but in academia, in medicine, in science, in government, for sure. And I think also in just popular, uh, you know, among citizens who are having discussions with family and friends and then on social media, certainly. But like this cancellation of each other, you know, it's um, what kind of harm do you think that is doing? And is that a Canadian value is there that's a fine line right between cancellation and tolerance and Canadians have always been we've had this view like you know if you disagree with someone you can say well that's your opinion and it's a free country and that's a kind of tolerance in my mind but now it's just I don't want to hear your opinion and implied by that is it's not a free country so um what is my question I'm trying to think (laughs) what what is going on in academia like uh, is are are 
are people paralyzed to maybe say how they feel? Is that at the what very least? There's oh. that, but then there's a question about well, what's the cause of that? How did we get to that point? You know, I noticed. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was just going to say teaching for twenty some years now. I noticed there's been such a big shift in the culture of the classroom. So students, when I started teaching in ethics, and you're talking about very you know, personal hot topics. You're talking about the capital punishment and abortion and lying and adultery and, you know, self-sacrifice, things like this. And so it used to be the case that it was really hard. I was a grad student teaching an ethics class and you're trying to manage all of these volatile opinions in a classroom and try to frame them into a constructive discussion. Well, when I stopped teaching last, you know, year ago, um, that was never, a, it wasn't a challenge and it hadn't been a challenge for a long time because there were no opinions to manage. There was no discussion to manage. All your energy went into trying to create that fire in the first place. And if you were lucky enough to get an opinion out of one of your students, you'd go home and feel like, you know, I had, I accomplished something today. So I think it's, that's what's going on in academia in terms of the teaching side of things. Um, Conferences wow. I had been at most recently were very much like that among professors, among you know academics, and there's not much listening, active listening going on. It's sort of regurgitate your view, and then when the next person starts talking, go and look on your phone because you don't know oh. what they have to say. Oh no! Well, that's all. We don't have a lively exchange of ideas and an openness and a receptivity. I don't think in academia, or not like we used to anyway. That, that I think that models what you're describing in journalism. Yeah, because to me, what where you came from sounds fascinating. Being an ethics professor and talking about capital punishment, well, I'd love to hear what the young people have to say. And did the young people, were they different 20 years ago? Were they like, oh, I feel this. And one person would go, no, no, you can't do that. Or was there more debate back then? Totally more debate. No. I think also their, their personalities have shifted. So the, the young person 20 years ago, was happier, I think. And I don't think that's just my view. I think they would say that. They did say that. You know, they were happier. They felt freer. They were not as entitled. They appreciated the opportunity to have an education. Um, and young people I talk to now are just, they're, they're kind of in this, this nihilism, this emptiness. They don't know what they're supposed to do or what hope like it will you know what kind of hope they have for the future what life offers them um wow and I don't think they see a reason for working hard no you're so right oh my gosh you're so right I have a 16 year old son so and a 12 year old so okay I see that I see what you're saying right. yeah you've really impacted something there for me to be on top of with my own child because what you describe I see you know, like, I guess, like, there's only one opinion about abortion, and you better just say the right thing. And that's it, no matter what your brain is telling you, or you transgenderism, which is the hot oh, thing. Yeah, right. yeah. Did you? Yeah. Oh, goodness me, I don't even know what to, to say about that. I certainly I support anybody that feels conflicted. But it's really gone off the charts a little bit. Uh, well, that's probably a conversation for another. <laughs> that's a, right? That's a very yeah, yeah. big. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, there are it's there huge. are legal issues, moral issues, conceptual issues, 
you know, gender, what does it mean to identify as a gender that you're not? What, what does gender mean anyway? What is it? I mean, there are all kinds of interesting questions. Oh, that's it's such a good problem. Topic. I think that, you know, to bring it back to thinking about expression is that we're not allowed to ask any of those questions. And people have firm beliefs about, um, you know, pride culture and transgenderism and, um, and, and gender alteration surgery without understanding or having a desire to understand these concepts. And I think also without feeling like as a young person, you can ask questions before making a decision. Yeah. Like when did we get to the point where we thought it's it's harmful, it's dangerous, it's a sign of weakness. You mentioned earlier, right? Nobody wants to say they don't know. Yeah. Like what happened to periods of self-exploration, self-reflection? Yeah allowing yourself to change a little bit over time isn't yes. that what we used to call growth <laughs> that is growth the way you feel when you're five is not the way you're going to feel when you're 15 not the way you're going to feel when you're 25 yeah or subtle shifts like the way you feel in the first few months of being 13 versus the last few months I mean just even that small yeah yeah time, right yes. it's just a really big um and so I I've been thinking a lot about you know our core freedoms and liberty liberties in Canada and why we have them. Like, so why is it important that we have freedom of expression? Why does that matter? And what are we losing when we seem to be losing it now? Yeah. I think we have everything to lose if we stifle that. Because if you squash young minds or anybody's minds and paralyze them for being so scared to speak up for fear of being canceled or whatever is going on, you're going to crush whatever that, their, whatever that even means anymore. <laughs> what? Who? I think we have to let people, young people, not worry about being canceled or not worry too much about what people say online. And I know that that's hard. But mm -hmm. if we continue down this path of, of stifling curiosity, expression, questioning, we're, what kind of generation of thinkers are we going to have? I don't know. And that's very scary. And I think it's up to people like you and me, maybe, unfortunately, to talk about this stuff, to hopefully go backwards. Uh, no go backward, go, go back to a time where people were happier and freer. Well, I think the great benefit we have, you and I have, Anita, is that we're on the other side of cancellation. <laughs> so, yeah. Right? We've been canceled. We've been canceled. They've, they, whoever, you know, yeah. our respective spheres of society have tried to cancel us. And you and I both said, no, thank you. <laughs> uh, and this is the, these are the lives we have. And yeah. it's up to us to decide if they're good lives or not. Maybe other people can make their own judgment about whether or not they're good lives. But my own feeling is that the only way to live as a human is to live authentically and freely come what consequences might come. And that to have your life dictated and framed by fear of what others can do to you is to put all your eggs in this basket that you can't have control of anyway. Yeah. Right? You cannot. Yeah. And so I think you and I are in a wonderful place because we can have this conversation and we can talk about whatever we want. And I think probably we'll always do it with the best. We'll, we'll try to be as respectful as possible and as curious as possible and not shy away from um, truths that we find uh, scary or inconvenient yeah. or unpopular. Yeah. Um, but I just wish for so many more Canadians that they would sort of acknowledge that fear 
and push through it because what's on the other side is not so bad. Yes. Push through it. Yes, absolutely. Don't be scared. Don't, don't be afraid anymore to, to not be popular, to not speak up, to not say, you know, you could go around saying, I don't believe in God. You, you can say that you can go, I'm not, I don't really believe in it. And people go, okay, okay, no problem. If you went around saying, I don't believe in the vaccine, I'm not really down with it. <laughs> people will go, how dare you? You it's, it's gone. It's superseded the level of God, the vaccine, the new religion, it's the new religion. And so people don't, you won't even speak up. People speak to me privately because they feel comfortable speaking to me privately, but nobody says things on Facebook. You're very, the brave ones do, right? Yeah, yeah. So you're right. We have to eradicate that fear. We have to bring it back. We have to maybe not be, maybe being woke is not working for us. And, and maybe we have to now be, come up with a new term or go back, go back to thinking. Well, that's the thing. If wokeness is, is um, antithetical to using your mind, then I think we should not have gotten on the woke train, right? Because it's yeah, woke is, is, a, is sleeping. You're not woke. You're asleep. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's really interesting. Maybe we'll have to. We should have another conversation about wokeness yes. and where that's gotten us and what in the world it is. Yes. Um, because I don't know if there's even consensus or awareness about it among those who identify as being woke. But Anita, thank you so much. I, I hope this will be one of many conversations. And I really appreciate you giving us some insight into, I mean, if we're going to design our lives according to what the news tells us, who, whatever news agency we follow, then we better have an understanding of how that news comes about. Absolutely. And, and I really appreciate you sharing your perspective on that. Thank well, you. I appreciate speaking with you. I think you're a wonderful woman and I admire you so much and I admire everything you're doing. You really touched my heart and you touched the hearts of so many Canadians. And that's why we all love you. So sweet. Well, thank <laughs> you so much for your time okay. and your ideas and your lack of fear. Well, We'll do more. Watch out. I'll do more. (laughs) (laughs) Counting on it. Thanks. Thank you so much.